see the champions, and here they come, taking the field at Stamford Bridge. And only players like Osgood take goals like that. Hello there, welcome to the second episode of the Chelsea Vavil podcast from the King's Road. I'm Niall Jackson and there are a couple of changes to the supporting cast of voices this week. Chelsea Vavil editor Jake Stokes drops out of the lineup, having not done enough on his debut to retain his spot. Don't worry, he knows I'm joking about that one. Delighted to say, however, our Chelsea Vavil reporter uh, Jake Dance is uh, fit and healthy to take part this week as are two debutants in Rob Colcutt and Jack Drury. Lads, welcome along for the ride. Uh, how are we doing on what is a scorching Sunday afternoon? Hot. <laughs> Very hot. It is, isn't it? Um, I suppose we should j- jump right into things. Uh, yesterday, uh, the biggest defeat of Chelsea's European history in terms of over two legs in a European tie. 7-1 over the two legs to Bayern Munich. Uh, initial thoughts from you all. Jack, do you want to start? Yeah, I think... As, as damning as 7-1 sounds, I think it was, as, as bad as this is going to sound as well, almost as good as we could have hoped for as situation is at the minute, especially after losing the first leg 3-0 at the bridge. Obviously, coming back when the season... See, it, it'll probably feel to the players that it's been it's been done now after the FA Cup final. That would have been a real sort of painful result. And then to have to go to, go to Munich to play this against one of the best teams in the world might have been something that the players would have really rather not do. But... I think the performance yesterday was, as I said earlier, about, about as good as we can expect at the minute from where we are at the minute. Jake Dance, echo those views? Definitely. Um, I'd agree with Jack very much so. Um, I think I think we've all agreed that it was sort of a foregone conclusion with, with what we could expect at the time. Um, it, obviously, the result is disappointing, but I think that was just the fact that we had the same team out for 90 minutes towards the end and uh, did concede um, some unfortunate goals in, in that regard, but playing against a team of that quality, easily top three, if not the best in in Europe uh, at the moment, um, it was always expected. Um, it was like I say that the result doesn't doesn't reflect very well, but I was I was actually quite happy with seeing like the passion from most of the players. They it's not like they just stopped. With the effort, they they were trying the whole game. Even even that two uh, 0 down, they were still pushing. Um, even when the third went in, still it looked like they were still pushing, still giving it a go. So can't fault the application, but I think it does just show the extreme golfing quality at the moment. It's interesting you talk about the golfing quality uh, because Bayern Munich had not started their season well in the Bundesliga. I believe they were fourth in November when they made a change of manager and the guy they brought in has done superbly well to to steer them to where they are now. They're looking at a domestic and European treble this season, which is absolutely unheard of in these times. And um, they, pro- they are, uh, according to most bookmakers, the favourites to go on and win the Champions League this season. Yeah, I'd agree, I'd agree, with, that. I'd agree with that, yeah. Rob Colcott, what, what did you think about the game itself? Well, I was choosing to remain optimistic. Um, if you look in previous seasons and, you know, big comebacks aren't unheard of. Um, and when I saw the uh, starting eleven that came out, I was I was quite pleased with it. I thought, you know, it gave a chance for certain players to step up and impress, and I thought they did, par a couple. But I'd, I'd agree with the others. I thought I thought we did all right in the grand scheme of things. Um, you couldn't really expect much else, bearing in mind you're playing against Robert Lewandowski, you know, who's just unbelievable in himself. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's just disappointing when you look at the aggregate score, 7-1 looks a bit, well, awful, but I think when you look at, like I said, the grand scheme of things, it's not that bad. I think it's the hope that kills you, isn't it? I, I don't oh, know it about is, yeah. anyone else that, anyone else yeah. that had that feeling before the game of maybe like as it got closer or just maybe I don't know if anyone else had those thoughts yeah absolutely yeah, especially it, the hudson Adoy goal as well when that went in and that was it 23 minutes or something yeah. I thought hang on 
I was doing the live tech commentary for Vavel, and as soon as that <laughs> Hudson Adoy strike went in, I just thought, what? Game on? Really? Game <laughs> on? Oh, okay. Is the tie on as well? And then suddenly you see the most. I'm, it really annoys me those sort of offside calls. Don't get me wrong, Tammy Abraham was offside. But the only thing that was offside of Tammy Abraham was his standing foot that he didn't touch the ball with. Yeah. I think in those sort of situations, you've got to kind of overlook it and say he wasn't turning towards goal. If he turns towards goal and runs with the ball towards goal, granted, put your flag up. But all he's doing is playing the ball back into an onside area. And equally, what the part of the body he's used wasn't in an offside position to start with. But they're the frustrating ones, definitely, when, it's, especially it's not the player who ends up scoring, is the one who's offside. So it's obviously Tammy in this case, and Hudson Odoi scored it. I, th- I think, it unfortunately, it does still go with just the rules of offside. And I, I do understand it. And when I saw it, when you see it in the replay, you can see it straight away, you know it's going to be overturned. I think it's just it's just like how football's going at the moment, how it's been this season. There's been probably more uh, probably VAR decisions that would be more angry when you see armpits offside, etc., compared mm. to like sort of an actual sort of standing foot. So I, I completely agree and like share your frustration with it. But For I think me, as soon as soon as I saw it, I wouldn't. I knew it was going to happen. You can't you can't argue it really, can you? No, for me, the frustrating thing is as as a viewer at the moment, as we're all having to watch um, from the sofa, it's the fact that when you're not given the replays as soon as that, yeah. after that. I mean, for that one, we had to wait probably about 15 minutes to see why it was about offside. Half time, wasn't it? Yeah, and then if you look at the the FA Cup game when the ball looked like it was handled outside the area, they just didn't show it until after the match, and it's yeah. frustrating as a fan because you only catch these glimpses. Um, and you, you just don't know what's happened. And especially with that offside call, it, it was really hard to figure out what had actually happened. I, I kept saying, I, I bet it was in the build-up, but there's no way to, to sort of know for sure. And with that, like, like, like you say, I think those ones that are in the build-up are frustrating because it, with, with VAR, I think it's just shown this, this season that maybe the offside ruling actually needs a bit of review as to what is actually gaining, gaining an advantage, like, like Jack said, with the the armpit and the and the toe being offside, things like that. I think there needs to be a bit of a review on that personally. If we think back ten years to the offside rule as well, if we think back how to how the offside rule has been played over the years, especially in the Premier League, the advantage used to always go with the attacker, didn't it? But now yeah. you're looking at the side of things, if there's even a glimpse of a doubt, it goes to review. And are you losing perhaps the humane integrity of the game to go, to know that linesmen are human, they do make mistakes let's not undermine them by going to technology and showing them that they're wrong let's just go with their decision in the first instance instant, instance, sorry and um, then if it's wrong it's wrong and we'll deal with the repercussions afterwards you, you can understand the two sides of the coin really can't you? Yeah, I get I get what you mean and I think we, we've been hit with it a couple of times this season, you think back to I think we've had it a couple of times against Liverpool as well in the league and in the um, in the Super Cup as well. It's, it's mm. hit us a few times when we get done in the build-up to something, and it's, it gets spotted afterwards, and it just the frustration keeps building up. Especially as those goals sort of one of us got got us level, and one of us put us two 0 up in the Super Cup as well. So they're big goals yeah. as well. And obviously last night's goal probably isn't going to change anything realistically, but you never know. So it's it, it is unfortunate. I, I don't know if it's something we can work on, and if it's if we're trying too hard to be on the shoulder and we're we're straying offside too much but I'm I'm not sure it feels like it's happened too much to us to be a coincidence of some sort it feels like something needs to be done in-house you're talking about on the shoulder as well there Jack but it's difficult for a manager to tell a striker take two yards off every striker wants to play on the shoulder because that is the position that gives them the most chance of beating their defender to a through ball and gaining an advantage for their side yeah, and especially if someone like Giroud, who it wasn't yesterday, but he's not got the pace that, say, Vern is going to have next season. And I, I completely get that that's what strikers have been taught when the the offside rule has been benefiting the attacker. But maybe that's what's going to start changing as well now. The offside rules get, or the sorry, the VAR's been been brought in. If the offside rule doesn't get changed drastically, we might see a change in how strikers sort of position themselves, but when the attack's starting. 
Let's talk about uh, the game in general yesterday. The positive, the positives, if we can. But let's look at the, let's look at the negatives first of all. Uh, we were all talking before on a little group chat that we have before we do the pod, just in terms of getting to know each other a little bit more and getting a feeling of what we're going to discuss on the podcast, etc. And somebody brought up the keen point that Lampard didn't make a substitution until about the eighty-second minute. Can't remember who that was, but he had a was strong me. opinion. Ah, oh, it was Jake Dance. What a surprise! <laughs> yeah, um, it, that was the the one frus- really frustrating thing from the game for me. Was uh, as ever, it's really exciting to see all these youth players coming through uh, and being on the bench, um, and ones that we've been hearing out for a while now. Um, like uh, I believe uh, Tino Andrian was on the bench, um, yeah. and also is it Lewis Bate um, was a, yeah he was a, got, yeah, got his way well onto the bench as well. Um, and it was just when you when you I mean when you're clearly not going to bring it back um, and it's a Champions League tie why not just chuck on a few youth players just even just for the energy because I think I think the a lot of the conceded goals towards the end was just from tiredness of the because the the team had been pressing and running for the whole ninety minutes as I say you can't fault the attitude but they must have been knackered and I'm not sure for, for as much as I praise Frank Lampard this season sometimes he will stick with the 11 that's on the pitch because he sees like the effort from them and the application and it's yeah. almost as though like from what he's transferred from a player is if you're if you deserve to be on the pitch you can stay on the pitch but that hurts it tactically I feel I don't know if anyone else thinks any differently I think when you throw those youngsters in if you were to throw those youngsters in as Lampard I think many of us agree should have done yesterday uh, it's quite difficult not to argue the point that those youngsters would have been just running on adrenaline. They they would have loved it, you know. The, their first team debuts in a lot of in a lot of cases, and what I suppose better a situation to come into than against one of the best sides on the planet with almost nothing to lose because you're four one down. You, you you can't do anything else, can you? You you can't. Your manager's not going to send you on and say, "Yeah, we want a hat trick from you in the next ten minutes. We're looking to win this tie. So come on, let give us it, kind of thing." And you, and you'd be kind of there, like, "Well, no, Gaffer, I can't do that at all." But all Lampard would have probably said to them if if they went went on was, "Enjoy yourselves. Get a yeah. couple of touches of the ball. Take it. Take in the stadium. Look at how many fans you would have been playing in front of if, if it hadn't been behind closed doors." And I think that's one of the things where Lampard needs to look to his assistants, especially that of Jody Morris. And Jody Morris, hopefully, would have been Lampard's ear saying, Frank, come on, mate, let's <laughs> let's chuck a couple of them on. What have we got to lose? But you, you, can, you can understand it from Frank Lampard's point of view in terms of the application that you're referring to. Uh, but I think from my perspective, you sh- we should have seen a couple of them come onto the pitch. Jack, yeah. Rob, anything to add? I, I think I want to disagree slightly. I feel like I'm doing that a little bit. Uh, quite Mate, a lot at the minute. You can, you can disagree podcast. all you like. <laughs> yeah, I think. Re- remember when? Do you remember Billy Gilmore's debut this season against uh, Sheffield United? He subbed on at two 0 in the yeah. sort of, what, third, fourth game of the season, mm. and he he got but he got like it looked too big an occasion for him. It wasn't just him that was the reason we gave away the two goals, but we ended up drawing that game and we really should have won it. And I think Lampard then got a little bit of criticism for bringing a what eighteen year old, seventeen year old in at a game that wasn't finished against a team that we didn't know too much about and it came back to bite us. And I think, obviously, yesterday's game is slightly different in context. That one was finished a long time ago. But I think throwing young players who, who have literally... So, what, Andrin's played, what, half an hour this season in the Prem? Yeah, it's, it's yeah, been that Everton game. Small he, sub. No time yeah. at all in that team. I think playing, throwing him against Bayern Munich might be sort of feeding him to the wolves in a way. And I'm not sure how much he'll gain from chasing round as they play the ball around us in their in their own half yeah I think for me it was just the fact that the only sub that was made was Giroud with about five minutes to go um, mm. it was too and, like for like at that same at that stage it, of the game it was, well, it, was it? it just seemed like an absolutely pointless sub to me and I definitely I see where Jack's coming from on that, that that side of things but like he said it was a bit of a different occasion as well because there was just nothing to lose isn't it? it was not like we were chasing the game it's just a, I, th- I just feel it was a missed opportunity to maybe at least give the some fans to say, well, at least he got some of the youth players out. But obviously, yeah, it's, it's, down, it's down to his decisions. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see. He's, he, obviously, he's, he's young as well, and he, he, in terms of management, um, very yeah. early on in his career, so he's gonna, he's still adapting and learning. So it's, it'll be interesting to see where this goes and, and 
and what he's like with new talent at his disposal. Now, the interesting point that I think was made by Gary Lineker on BT Sport yesterday, Does anybody can anybody remember the aggregate score that he brought up from Bayern's last three encounters against London sides oh, over two legs or single games? Oh, it's Tottenham and Arsenal, wasn't it? 31-9 uh, or something. It was 17-4, <laughs> which is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. And if you look at that, could we arguably say that Bayern in general, or maybe German football in general, is on a better footing at the moment than the English sides in Europe? I disagree. I think it would be tough to say that. Boys, I'm I'm here to spark debate. You you can disagree, you can agree, you can... I think if if you look at the difference between the two leagues, so you say the Premier League and the Bundesliga, obviously, as we saw last night, you have teams in the Bundesliga, such as Bayern, who do have unreal quality. You could say the same with Dortmund, you could say the same with Leipzig as well. But I think after those three teams, it's very difficult to name another team that would be like, okay, yeah, they could potentially challenge for the title. Whereas you look at the Premier League over the last few seasons, you've got Liverpool, you've got Man City, you've got Chelsea, you've got Spurs that nearly did it, you've got a United team now that are, if you put it in brackets, a revival of somewhat. You know, I think, like I said, Bayern are a top quality team, but I'd, I'd, I'd wouldn't say German football's better than English football, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> Depends on the context, really, doesn't it? Because if you look at the amount of German youth that they that they sort of get out there in their league, um, and and the rise of some of those talents because of that, and like a lot of talents going over there to develop, it's yeah, they say English um, youth as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to quite develop. Like a development league, because it's not. It's it's a very highly professional league, and the whole football culture out there is fantastic. With with um, uh, just just how how fans are are trying to be respected and and, and sort of uh, the the whole ruling of, of ticket prices and things like that. Um, it just is the fact that you do have some giants dominating the league, um, like Bayern Munich, uh, Borussia Dortmund, and now RB Leipzig to an extent. Um, it's just a shame the rest of the league. Never really gets held up in that much a higher regard, but like like you say, the the Premier League's always been, especially recently, that that highly competitive league where um, it, it could be anyone's season. We're seeing a bit of a disparity at the moment with Liverpool and City because of how well they have managed their signings and just building and building over the last few years. Um, but who knows? In sort of two three years, it's going to all change again. So. Um, yeah, I think uh, sometimes I find it a bit pointless, like comparing the leagues because they'll all have their qualities. Um, but there's no argu- argument in that Bayern Munich are one of the scariest teams to face in, in I the think world. The only right league now. that we can't argue about, though, is Liga because it's nothing more than a farmers league. <laughs> I, I do agree that um, that the German league is in a bit of a it is in a bit of a power patch at the minute. If you see the amount of players that are being linked with. The, like the rich teams in the world, which a lot of them come from England. You're looking at the sort of we've already got Werner's a big interest in Havertz. There's big interest from other teams about players like uh, Meccano. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of interest for a lot of money for those players, which shows that they are performing at the highest level. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely agree. Especially when we do look at, like you say, players like Kai Havertz is only um, I, th- I think he's just 20. Yeah. Uh, uh, Upamecano is really young as well um, and the, the players that have come from the league gone back there like Sane's now back there um, yeah it's, it's got appeal it's got pull uh, especially for young players like uh, Sancho and now Bellingham Conta Dortmund um, so yeah I think it's a really enjoyable league um, it just needs to sort of disperse the talent a bit more evenly throughout all the teams So chaps do we want to try and look at positives from yesterday's performance or do we want to move on? I think there are positives. I think Reese James was exceptional yesterday. Yes. For the, for the challenge that he had down that, uh, down well, that Bayern's left hand side, I think he was brilliant. I think he, him going forward as well was actually an mm. asset to Chelsea, which we didn't. We 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 were not the most attacking team on paper. Yet, uh, with the sort of Kante and Kovacic in the midfield, they're not going to be um, sort of providing too much going forward. I think Reese James was an was an asset because we didn't have Alonso at the fullback position either to provide yeah. going forward. I think he was brilliant, Reese James. 
Oh, he's fantastic, especially when you put him up against that challenge of um, Alphonse Davies, who's had an absolute breakout season at left back, and the speed that he's got. Um, yeah. Obviously, I know he got in behind eventually, but um, it, the the battle between them throughout the game is really interesting, and that's been a bit of a fault with Reese James recently. He's been getting very, very far forwards, but mainly in that three at the back system. But yeah. as a right back in that back four, him getting backwards and forwards yesterday. It was, a, I think Lampard said it was like a world class performance from him, um, and I couldn't agree more. So, chaps, um, a bit of news to bring to you, having looked in the past hour or so, and reports suggest that Frank Lampard has sanctioned a twenty million pound bid to be made for Manchester City's John Stones. Uh, any initial thoughts from any of you? Ooh, uh, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> I think, that's, <laughs> I think that's, the initial reaction from all says it all. I, I think so if you could all describe it to look, all you need to look at is bearing in mind John Stones is a centre back, and throughout much of this season, Pep Guardiola decided to play Fernandinho, who's a CDM. Yeah. In it's in his position, I I, I think that says a lot. He's opting over like Garcia to use him as well, like yeah. in the centre back, and it's just he's like he's like is at the bottom of the pecking order for those City centre backs, and they've, now they've signed Nathan Ake. So I think he is exactly the centre back that we don't need at the minute. We need someone who's, whose main strength is defending, and I don't think that's John Stones. It's like it, it's he's he's one of those players. I uh, very much liken it to Ross Barkley, who broke through young. Um, Everyone saw it as big promise, big young English talent. He's going to fulfil his potential, and then it's just stuck at that level for the rest of the career. Mm. Um, and there's the, there's like these flashes of not even brilliance. I'd say like flashes of promise again, of like a good good moment or two, and then there's also a horrendous mistake or a frustrating performance more regularly. Um, and it just seems like that sort of player to me. And I think. With what we've seen and the weaknesses at the back, we need world-class players again. Talking about world-class players then, uh, let's look at uh, the options that I asked you boys to bring to the table today. Um, my views on Kepa are one of him not being the man to take us forward. I think many of you would agree that he isn't the man for the number one jersey in SW6 at the moment. Please interrupt me if you do think otherwise. Um, no, the answer comes to none. Fantastic. Um <laughs> But I did ask you guys to prepare, I suppose, a shortlist. <clears throat> every football manager manager will know this. Every football real manager will know this. You have a little bit of a shortlist on your on your targets and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked you to come up with two options. One who has been linked, one who hasn't. Anybody want to take first go? I can go first if you want. Go on. So, the one that... Chelsea have been, I think, most linked with in recent weeks is um, Andre Onana from Ajax. Um, he's only 24, um, and some of you might know that he actually came through Barcelona when he was younger, and then joined Ajax. Um, so this season, he's he's made 15 clean sheets in 39 games in all competitions. And uh, obviously, Ajax won the league this season, despite it being uh, was it made null and void, or did they win it instead? Ooh. One of the um, two. Let, let's not get bogged down in that one. Well, yeah, either, either way, either way, either way, Ajax's top goalkeeper. Um, he's a very good shot stopper. He's also got very good reflexes as well. And the Athletic said that he'd only be available for around thirty million euros, which is about. £27 million which if you look at the fee that we paid for Kepa it's a steal it's an, it's absolute, an absolute steal. steal it really is um, I, I think it's perfect I think it'd be really good I think his reputation speaks for itself as well doesn't it he was a part of the Ajax side who got all the way that really young Ajax side who got all the way to the Champions League semi-finals before being turned over by uh, they who shall not be named Tottenham um <laughs> Uh, in the Champions League semi-final. Thankfully, Tottenham went on to lose that Champions League final against Liverpool. Uh, but uh, that Ajax side played with such confidence, knocked out Juventus in the early stages of the Champions League as well, came through their group with flying colours also, and Onana was really a major spine part of the team. 
yeah, he, he he's like I said, he's he's a very good shot stopper, and in that that semi final against Spurs at, at Ajax, oh, yeah, they lost, but some of the saves he was making was brilliant, and he he, he did his very best to keep them in the tie. Obviously, wasn't enough, but I I just keep thinking that I look, keep looking at that price tag and think thirty million euros. Is an absolute steal for a goalkeeper of his quality. Maybe it could be a little bit more, given the current circumstances with with COVID and teams probably wanting a little bit more money. But I, I think he's a superb goalkeeper, and would I think Lampard would love him. I think it will be a little bit more for any goalkeeper that we will have to pay. I think Chelsea will have to go out there and pay a premium for any goalkeeper they get, purely on the fact that clubs will know how desperate they are for a goalkeeper that can actually do the job. It's yeah. been no secret on worldwide media that Kepper has been deemed not good enough by Chelsea's hierarchy and Frank Lampard himself, the manager. So I think every single club will know that and will know how desperate Frank Lampard is to get in a number one that can do the required job. Uh, Rob, what about your outside call? Who, who have you got as your outside call? Uh, well, my outside call was based on his performance the other night. It was um, Rui Patricio at Wolves. Um, I'm not sure if any of you watched that game against Olympiacos, mm. but he was he was on top form. To be fair, he was absolutely brilliant. He's been great for Wolves all season. Uh, He's been great for there. Wolves since they come into the Premier League, isn't? Oh yes, hasn't he? Yeah. he definitely has. Um, still annoyed that he has the number eleven for a goalkeeper, but hmm. uh, we'll brush well, their, their number one was retired, wasn't it, because of um, yeah. the sad situation. With Carlo Kime, so we can forgive Wolves for that one. Yeah, of um, course, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, obviously, Rui Patricio, Portuguese international, held in really high acclaim by a lot of different people all over the globe in terms of a really good shot stopper and a really good goalkeeper and leader, really, in the dressing room at Wolves. He, he could be a decent shout for at least a season or two. Yeah, he's 32, um, which I was quite surprised with. I thought he was a little bit younger. But he played every Premier League game for Wolves this season. Um, and whenever I see him, he always looks comfortable. Like He, he doesn't look like, for example, Kepa. Or he doesn't look like De Gea, who's meant to be world-class and then sometimes looks very shaky and makes very silly mistakes. I haven't seen Patricia make many mistakes at all. But obviously, there's a reason why he's... An outsider because I, I highly doubt Wolves will be wanting to sell him, especially after the other night and helping them get through to the next round of the Europa League. But uh, yeah, kept 19 clean sheets this season in 53 games. So the interesting would be a good thing, shout, with, but like I said, unlikely. The interesting thing with Wolves though is that they've got three decent keepers on their books. You know, yeah, they've got Rui Patricio, they've got John Ruddy, and they've got uh, Will Norris who performed superbly in the Carabao Cup. If you don't, if you remember. Rightly kept yeah. a clean sheet at the Etihad a couple of seasons ago. There are no mugs in that department, and they're really they're really well thought of in terms of the recruitment they've done on their goalkeeping side of things, and their goalkeeping coaches are, I think to be some of the best in the league as well. Uh, Jake, moving on to you, my friend. Uh, yeah. What have you got for me? So for the linked player, um, I've got uh, Dean Henderson. Um, obviously, well known in the Premier League now, had an outstanding season this season on loan from Manchester United to Sheffield United. Um, he's got the third highest save percentage in the Premier League after facing 129 shots, I believe. Uh, he only allowed 33 of those shots in. Um, and he also third highest for clean sheets as well in the Premier League. Um, obviously, I think that would be, it'll be outstanding to get someone like him. Um, still young as well. I just don't think it's very likely uh, with his current situation. I think there's reports already coming out that uh, United are going to offer him some huge contract uh, to get him to stay and like working on an agreement with uh, De Gea, even though they're paying him something ridiculous every week. Um, uh, so I think it would be a good one to look at, but I just don't see it happening. So what I'm more interested in is my outside player. Um, Throw it at me. Is uh, Juan Musso, who is the goalkeeper for Udinese uh, in Syria. Um, I was going to look at um, Samir Handanovic for Inter, but I didn't realise he was 36. 
so yeah. I looked at some alternatives. <laughs> I'm actually surprised that um, in Serie A, Juan Musso has, has actually got the second highest save percentage in Serie A after facing 186 shots in the league. Uh, means obviously did still let in 51, but his uh, save percentage ranks uh, second highest, and he's got and he got the highest clean sheets in the league as well. Um, there's reports saying he's ready for a big club move. He's only 26. He saved two penalties in the league as well, uh, and he is Argentinian uh, face, and he's, and he's uh, definitely a contender for their number one spot in the national team. Um, so I, I think as a target, um, and as someone that's not really being talked about a lot for for whatever reason. Um, he'll be perfect. His strengths are listed as well on who scored as as being um, his concentration and his long passing. So he's good on the ball as well. Uh, and as his stats prove, he's an excellent shot stopper. So I think he's being slept on a little bit. Um, and if he doesn't move to a club in England, he'll definitely, I think, get a club uh, move to someone like uh, Inter or, or um, uh, AC Milan. I think the interesting point you make there and the most noteworthy point is not just the save percentage, but also the fact that he's in contention to be the number one for Argentina because that jersey has been one of the most hotly contested international jerseys for a number of years with Romero, Caballero and several others Mm. trying to fight for the spot. It would be a good chance for him as well because those those that you mentioned there are always second... They're they're always the backups to the names of the clubs, apart from Caballero who's now turned into our number one. But, um, like... He's uh, uh, Musso is like he's been starting every game. He's made thirty eight appearances this season, and like I say, he's faced one hundred eighty six shots in that time. Uh, so they've, who knows? They've got a bit of a leaky defence, but it, luckily for them, he kept the most clean sheets in the league. So um, I, I, I would be looking at him as a definite candidate, candidate to bring in because he, he looks like he's going to be world class, and at twenty six, um, he's only going to get better. Fantastic. Uh, finally, Jack Drury, your two shouts for the number one spot next season. Okay, so my um, my realistic one, I guess, is the one that I actually think will happen in real life. I think is quite a safe option. I've got Nick Pope down here. Um, yeah. Obviously, came really close to getting the Golden Glove last season in the Prem, missed out on the last day. But yeah, still have 15 clean sheets in the in the 38 games, which is I know for Burnley's the Premier League. Defense, that's superb. Yeah, and I know Burnley's defence is strong, but they don't have a lot of the ball, so they're still going to face a lot of shots and everything, yeah. which I think comes into the fact that he's got 120 saves this season. Which do you, any of you know how many Kepa's got this season? It's uh, it's Two? Um, I know he faced 99 shots, and he let in 40, 47 of them. Oh, <laughs> so on, oh. on the um, on the fantasy, he's got 55 saves this season, which is less yeah. than half of Nick Pope's. Which Jesus. is, I know again taken into count of defences is still mental yeah, um, he had the lowest save percentage of any goalkeeper in the Premier League as well this season didn't mm-hmm. he yeah, yeah which is mental Pope's conceded three more goals than him in a team that hardly have the ball and obviously that can come into defence as well but it, it, it's worrying definitely um, people might worry that yeah, him on the ball might not be the best because Burnley don't tend to play out from the back but he's made more passes this season than Kepa he's made about 80 more passes than Kepa this season so I think in a, t- in a team that need will probably be looking to play it from the back, I think he'll still be fairly comfortable from it. And I, I, th- I think I think it's one of those things that you can put into the player as well. Sorry for interrupting you there. Mate. Right. Um, it's one of those things that you can teach the player in training as well. You can work on playing out from the back. You can work on pressurising him in certain situations and seeing how he how he reacts first of all and kind of mould him into that playing playing out from the back ability whereas the first thing you want from him first and foremost as your goalkeeper is the ability to stop the ball going in, going into the back of the net and I think Nick Pope a player who's played, played his trade in the Football League for a long time had loan spells at Cambridge United whilst at Charlton uh, played for Charlton and then obviously now at Burnley as well and was third choice goalkeeper at Burnley might I add when he first came into the club yeah, superb yeah. shout and it would be a fantastic story for the young man as well I think it's also it would be a good move for him because if he's the the England number one jersey's not not tied down by any means at the minute, and I think if he wants to play, he must be an England keeper. He'll need to learn playing out from the back because what England wants to be doing as well. I don't think he's going to get the opportunity to do that at Burnley. I don't think, which is fair enough completely. It's not how they play football and what they do is is successful. But I think if for him, if he wants to be England's number one, he'll need to start playing out from the back and being more confident on the ball and I don't think there's any many better places to learn that than at Chelsea 
I think he'd be a certain choice for England number one if he was at the top six club and performing it and playing every week. I, th- I think he's a different. No offence to Jordan Henderson. <coughs> Sorry, not Jordan Henderson. Jordan Pickford. It's a uh, different kettle of fish. Well, Jordan Pe- Pickford's second worst for uh, save percentage in the Premier League. So yeah, he's also a bit short, according to Thibaut Court- Courtois as well, isn't he? <laughs> remember that little spat they had back in the 2018 World Cup uh, what about your outside shot Jack yeah okay so I, I think I've got I've got Martin Dubravka from Newcastle um, mm. my my mum's a Newcastle fan so I've always had a sort of uh, sort of passing interest in them and I, I really liked him when he came in and I think this season as well bear in mind how how bad Newcastle defence is like they, they they still leak goals as well he's still got three more clean sheets than Kepa this season which is, is pretty mental. He makes a lot of saves. He made 140 saves last season, which is 20 more than Pope, and was that 85 more than Kepa? Jesus, it's looking even worse for Kepa now, isn't it? Ridiculous. Um, another stat, I don't know how important this is, but we we spoke about Kepa from crosses not really having much of a, a presence, um, I guess, in the area. So he's, Kepa's put, like, punched the ball clear from corners or crosses five times this season, all season, five times. Whereas Martin Dubravka's got sort of 18 like times he's come and like taken authority and cleared the ball in it his makes own area. Such a difference. Yeah, it makes confident such a difference for confidence for the defence. Yeah, because yeah. we're we're awful from set pieces. I think we're, are we sort of bottom for how we how we defend set pieces? I think we're right yeah, out I mean, there. We have to be. Yeah, I think we're right out there with it. And I think that's having a goalkeeper that is really commanding in the area, which maybe isn't completely kept us for. He's not the tallest player in the world. Neither is Dubravka, in fairness. But having a presence behind the defenders can only help them. So let's move on to, I suppose, the next stage of proceedings. Let's talk about uh, the Premier League and how it will look next season. Three teams, of course, have uh, moved into the league for next season. Uh, Let's first of all talk about the side I'm most pleased for, or the person I'm most pleased for in terms of moving his side back into the Premier League. And he's done it at the first time of asking as well. And that's uh, Fulham manager Scott Parker, of course, a former Blue and a really likeable uh, guy. And uh, I think he's done a superb job at Craven Cottage so far. I agree. Yeah, I, I think that interview he did at the end of the playoff final the other day was quite an eye-opener into the sort of thoughts of a football manager. You know, it is obviously I think we knew it was a very stressful job anyway but I think he kind of put that into perspective a little bit more considering he's a young manager as well and I'm I'm very happy for him I think like I said he's quite a likeable guy ex-Chelsea player as well Um, bring back that West London derby rivalry back into the Premier League Um, yeah I'm very very happy for them to be back in there providing they don't overspend and do what they did last time they got into the Premier yeah, League. Yeah. They've got potential to stay up, but they just need to learn from those mistakes. And Scott Parker, like you say, seems to be a good manager, and, and his like demand from the players seems to be very high. Because I think I watched the their second leg of the uh, uh, playoff semi final, um, where they, they got through, but they lost the second leg, and he clearly wasn't happy that that had happened, that they'd allowed that to happen, despite getting through to the final. Um, he seems to have a very good attitude about about the players and have a high demand f- for their success. And obviously, that's always a good thing to have that sort of winning mentality in a, in a manager, as long as it doesn't go all sour like it did for Mourinho. Absolutely. Uh, who, who was the one who spoke before? Was it Jack or Rob? So, Jack, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I'm as Echo everyone said a big fan of Scott Barker. He was under a lot of pressure this season at different stages as well because it looked for a lot of the season like they weren't going to do it anymore because they were falling quite a way short of Leeds and West Brom who West Brom eventually went up late in the season but they were both quite far ahead before the uh, before the restart and Brentford's form like before the last two games of the season was like incredible and mm. if you if you had to choose a team that were going to go up from the before in the playoffs you'd have probably picked Brentford so I think he's done it and he, he was doing a good job when when they uh, got relegated as well he came in he was their what was he their third manager of the season after Ranieri and um he had five he or six games it. at the end of the campaign, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, so he had nothing. He had, couldn't. He couldn't stop relegation, but he he tightened up the defence back then, which was something they they were desperate for, which is what they brought Ranieri in to do, which didn't happen. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see how he does with a full season in the Premier. 
Absolutely. Um, also, another manager coming into the Premier League for the first time. A world-renowned coach uh, with a re- world-renowned side, as it were, or club, as it were, in Leeds United is Marcelo Bielsa. Um, he's going to reignite a rather feisty rivalry that he's got with Super Frank, isn't he? I can't wait. <laughs> That's what we wanted to hear. Come on. I've been so I'm I'm not old enough to remember Leeds in the Prem ever, but I live with a Leeds fan at uni. And so you, you hear a lot about them. And I've, I've, I've looked into sort of everything that happened with the sort of Champions League and overspending, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just that the, the, I know fans might not be back straight away, but the atmosphere at Ellen Road is almost second to none in terms of English football. Oh, it's, I it's, think it's, it can only be good for the league. It brings, Ellen Road brings back that old English tradition of a football supporter going to church, doesn't it? Because everybody who goes there is completely devoted to the cause and they do not stop singing their hearts out for 90 minutes. I don't know if anybody watched, I believe it was the, uh, was it All or Nothing, Leeds United, when uh, Amazon Prime did that with them. And you could see the passion that everybody inside that football club had and they they were quite rightfully going in the right direction following on from a couple of dodgy ownerships from Ken Bates and uh, Andrea Rosani, was it? Or is that the guy who's in charge now? I'm, I, I, I honestly can't remember the, the guy in between, the one who sunk them into the abyss, as it were. Uh, but it is nice to see a traditional English Football League club, or football club in general, one that's had immense success over the years, albeit not with Brian Clough, who only lasted 28 days after Don Revy. Um get back into the big time yeah and I'm not normally one who's big on tradition like oh this team won the European Cup 30 years ago so they should automatically be in the in the top 10 big teams in, in oh, the, nothing, in England, it doesn't mean but, anything nowadays does it really no but I think even even for me Leeds is a team that I was really really looking forward to seeing to hoping to come out this season and I'm very happy that they have do you reckon we'll see Patrick Bamford play in the Premier League finally I don't. I honestly might don't see Patrick Bamford score in the Premier League finally. I just don't <laughs> think he's good enough for the Premier League, and I think, I think, I think Leeds fans might know that as well. I'm not. Sure. Well, was, I hope they know that because we all know that. Exactly, and they brought in that um, that Augustine as a transfer during the season, who it didn't really work out. From mm. I can't remember where he came from. Was it Salzburg or something? It was, from a, it was, it was, it was from, PSG. It's from a bit like a big European team, and it just it didn't work out. And they're trying to. I don't know if they already have, but they're trying to ship him back. Because uh, yeah. it just hasn't worked out at all, so I don't. I think they might be looking to increase their fire, uh, firepower. I think they absolutely they, have to. They've definitely got some pull because that that was like a big, big transfer from because he was like touted as like a wonder kid. I'm not, I know that much. Mm. Um, so it was like a big deal that he was coming in. So they've definitely got some sort of pull, pull there. A bit, a bit, uh, a bit like um, how Wolves did when they came up, and obviously the signs they made while they're in the championship and their links there. Um, I think they might be um, a bit of a pull with Bielsa being at, at the helm. Oh, massively. The, his coaching ability is second to none, and I think a lot of players, given that they know the detail that he goes into on a match day or before a match day, will, will now want to play for him now they're in the mm. Premier League. A lot of players would have looked at it and gone, nah, I don't really want to play second division football in England, but now they're in the yeah. top league, the top league in the world, as it were, and are amongst arguably the top 50 sides in the world purely on being in the Premier League yeah you, you want to play you'd want to play for them uh, let's look at the third side um lastly um I don't think we're going to have time for this quiz boys we're we're slowly running out of time <laughs> but we'll see if we can bring a quiz to you later on this week in terms of Chelsea season we might even throw it as an extra special episode during the week with the same contestants if we can we'll try and work that one out for you I'm afraid um but uh Slavon Bilic former West Ham United manager and former West Ham United player, of course. Uh, the bane of England national team some 12 years ago. Or, yeah, 12 years ago when he took Croatia uh, into the Euros ahead of Steve McLaren's England hmm. as uh, guided West Brom back into the Premier League. Um, how excited are we to see a character like Bilic back in the Premier League? Not very, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've never really been a, a big fan of West Brom. I've, I've just, no offence to them, but I just think they're boring. I, just, I think the Steve, only good thing... Steve Clark I'm, would argue D 
differently with the side that he produced for West Brom because Steve Clark produced a very good West Brom side for a season. He did, yeah. But I, I, the only good thing I can think about West Brom is when we won the league there when Batshuayi scored. Oh yeah, beautiful memories. We might even do it next season. You never know. Yeah, yeah. well, Batshuayi is still at the club. Yeah, um, <laughs> he's definitely gone. I, I, <laughs> he's definitely going. Oh yeah, yeah. But um, I, I quite like. Slavin Bilic actually I thought I thought he did quite well at West Ham um, so I'm happy to see him back in the Premier League but I, I, I would much rather Brentford in the Premier League than West Brom I, I love that sorry go on I, I was just about to say Brentford bottled it and that was it but you go ahead <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say I love that um, uh, Bilic has got this real terrifying Roy Keane vibe about him now with the uh, yeah. especially, especially when he out some hench beard in the winter um, and in every photo I could find of him he looks terrifying it's like uh, a Viking look from Game of Thrones yeah <laughs> but but honestly uh, him as a character is really interesting I think to have in there I remember him uh, doing punchery and stuff on the World Cup as well I thought it was really interesting hearing from him yeah and, he was a uh, good pundit actually yeah, he worked with ITV yeah. didn't he for the summer yeah. yeah exactly and I think like his his views on football and stuff um, are good uh, it's interesting, and it'd be it'd be nice to see him back in press press conferences in in the Premier League and on the sidelines. So uh, uh, yeah, I'm interested to see what he does with a newly promoted side in the Premier League, because um, obviously he helped West Ham uh, sort of survive a bit, um, uh, being helped massively by, by uh, Dimitri Payet. But uh, I think um, it'll be interesting to see what he does with that team coming up. But uh, hopefully not too well against us. Yeah, hopefully not too well against us. Do you think? Let's look at the three teams that have come up. I think we'd all argue that Fulham are probably the most likely to go straight back down. I think you have to be careful, though, because you look at Sheffield United last season when they got promoted, Mm. and a lot of people were saying, oh, they'll finish bottom, they won't be good enough. And look look where they finished, top half of the table. Surprised everyone. So I, I, I think you do have to be careful. And I think if we raised the point that we made earlier about Fulham and their spending they need to make sure that they get it right this time because I think what happened last time is they got all this money from getting promoted and they just spent it on loads of players and it seemed like a team of individuals rather than a, a proper team mm. but I, I I would say Fulham would go down but I wouldn't be certain I think Leeds would definitely stay up and I, I, I reckon West Brom will just about stay up along those lines, I reckon. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it depends on all of them and how they act in the transfer market. Because um, like Rob said there, you, you don't want to blow all that Premier League money and have a disjointed team. Uh, but you also don't want a championship level side playing in the Premier League if they're just going to get battered every week. Um, not to say there's not quality there, but it, like if you, even if you look at the, the championship as a league, it's so back and forwards like with the results anything can happen and I mean you look at that with Forrest dropping out at the last minute um, uh, to miss off on the uh, playoffs Um, I think it'll be interesting to see how their recruitment goes and if that's a reflection on the managers and their styles because if that is a case then you've got potential to have a good team in the Premier League again but if they do just blow it all on what they think will be a Premier League a whole new Premier League challenging side that's got potential to all go a bit awry there is definite need for recruitment in all three sides I think mm. um, that was what uh, Jack or Rob sorry I, I, I can't quite distinguish your voices right now boys. Um, <laughs> but I think it was uh, one of you alluding to Fulham need to spend but not overspend um, where looking at it do you think they need to spend because I don't, I don't think it's the left back position because their left back was absolutely superb, and Joe Bryan, the former Bristol City left back. Well, they've still got Mitrovic, haven't they? Yeah, they've still got Mitrovic he, up top. He could, he could be useful. Um, he could be. He, he really could. He's still quite young as well. I think he's. They have a decent spine to their side, don't they? They've got Michael Hector yeah. at the back. Um, got Tom Kearney as well in the middle. Tom Kearney in midfield strong. still. And um, I think it's going to make for a really interesting Premier League season next campaign. Um, Lads, I think we may just be out of time in terms of stuff we can do today. Um, Fantastic to uh, have your voices with me. Uh, Any final thoughts on Chelsea as a whole 
from this season, if you can. Uh, we did a bit last week. We, we graded the season slightly. But Jack and Robert, it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on uh, Frank Lampard's maiden campaign. I enjoyed it, definitely. I found it, I found it like, extremely fun throughout. And you look at sort of moments in the season, the, uh, the Spurs games, away at Arsenal, some nights in the Champions League, probably both against Ajax come to mind as well. It was just an, an enjoyable season. And the fact that we finished it with uh, securing Champions League football, I think it makes it a successful one as well. I'd say the best part of the whole season has been proving a lot of people wrong. I think you go through Twitter, for example, and, and pundits as well. Barely anyone thought Chelsea would get top four. Everyone thought it'd be mid-table, they'd struggle. And I think Lampard has just pulled it out of the bag this season and done a superb job. And with the signings that we've made already and the players that we're looking to bring in now, I am I'm incredibly excited for next season. I think it's going to be brilliant. I can echo those thoughts. Jake Dance, do you echo those thoughts as well? Definitely. Uh, I, I think I, I did, I've done a bit of talking on Chelsea recently on something else and it, I was literally just saying that I think it's the most fun I've had without winning anything um, for a long time. Like Just watching the games... I think the unpredictable nature of it has actually been like a positive way. It's not. It's not. Um, it's not been negative at all. Uh, watching youth finally come through has been absolutely class. Um, and to, even towards the end of the season, the fact that we're getting announcements like Hakim Ziyech, Timo Werner coming through, big movements, trying for Kai Havertz, clearly trying to build up a very strong squad again. And we've been linked with John Stones. Uh, well, yeah, ignore that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think it, it, it's been a really fun season to watch. Uh, really good to see a, form, a former player and legend as Frank Lampard uh, at the helm of the club. And um, yeah, I'm just I'm just really getting excited for next season now, to be honest, and, and see what movements we make in the transfer market and uh, see what this new squad can do under him uh, next season. Well, this brings the episode two of the From the Kings Road podcast here on Chelsea Babble to a close. They've been Rob Calcott, Jack, Jake Dance and Jack Drury. I've been Nile Jackson. A pleasure to be in your company. And, well, we'll see you next week. Chelsea the champions.